Are you interested in a medical school in the heart of Chicago focused on teamwork and its professionalism? Great. We're talking today to the Dean of Admissions at Chicago Medical School at Rosalind Franklin University. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Before we meet our guest today, I want to invite you to Accepted's next Med School Admissions webinar, which will actually be a Q&A. The topic, drumroll, is got interviews? What if I'm not invited to interview? A live Q&A where I will be joined by Dr. Herman Gordon, former chair of the University of Arizona Medical School's Admissions Committee, and Dr. Barry Rothman, founder and former director of several postback programs at San Francisco State. The Q&A is on October 6th. That's tomorrow at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. If you haven't received an interview invitation yet, you can share your concerns and we'll share our suggestions, born of decades of experience in medical school admissions, during the Q&A. Save your seat for free at accept.com slash got interview. Again, that's accept.com slash got interview. Now let's move on to today's interview. With a focus on interprofessionalism, the Chicago Medical School is one of five graduate schools in healthcare at Rosalind Franklin University in Chicago. It also has one of the larger MD programs in the United States. And I'm delighted to have on Admission Straight Talk, Dr. Michael Ellison, Associate Dean for Admissions at Chicago Medical School. Dr. Ellison earned his doctorate in educational leadership from the Roosevelt University of Chicago. He has worked in higher education and specifically in medical school admissions and administration for decades. Dr. Ellison, welcome to Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. My pleasure to have you. If you could just give us an overview of the Chicago Medical School program, focusing on its more distinctive elements. Well, Chicago Medical School is a commuter-based medical school. So we serve uh, a variety of patient populations from those who are from rural communities, urban settings, suburban settings, individuals who may be coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, all the way to those people who may have um, more privilege and, and, and resources. So we really want to make sure that we are training physicians who are gonna have a broad-based education, uh, those individuals who have opportunities and experience with uh, treating a wide variety of patient populations and uh, individuals who may be coming from various backgrounds. Okay, great, thank you. Now, Rosalind Franklin seems very focused on interprofessionalism. Indeed, its stated vision is to be the premier interprofessional health sciences university. Could you define or describe interprofessionalism and how does it manifest itself in the medical school curriculum? Well, we realize that to provide the best patient care, it takes a team approach. And the physician is one part of the team, but the nurses and the pharmacists and the other health science individuals who are working as a part of that team helps to provide the best patient care and to improve those patient outcomes. A part of what we do here at Chicago Medical School is to incorporate um, of these experiences in, in what we do as it relates to uh, students from the various programs, taking similar classes, working on similar cases, and looking at how they would uh, assist each other in those 
uh, healthcare settings and how important those roles are to uh, helping to improve the outcomes of the patient. So you will see our students um, interfacing in some of the classes that they take together. You'll see them interfacing in some of the clinical experiences that they have. And you'll also see them interfacing in some of the social and community-based uh, outreach that we do here at the medical school and the university. Great, thank you very much. Now, COVID has affected everything. How has it affected the curriculum and experience at Chicago Medical? Well, like everyone, uh, we've had to do things a little differently in both uh, using hybrid methods of, of, of getting the curriculum to our students. And so some of the, of the coursework has been delivered virtually. We've uh, had small group settings. We've made arrangements that uh, we could bring students in for lab work. Uh, this year, we're back where everyone's back on campus. Um, and so we are doing everything face-to-face, -face, but also planning should we have to go back to remote learning that we've learned some lessons from the, the first year in terms of how to do it better uh, virtually. So uh, virtual, I think, is, it has impacted us all in a way that has made us better in how we're delivering instruction to our students. Are you going to keep any virtual elements to the curriculum? Let's say there's no COVID, there's no concerns, public health concerns. Um, I can't answer that because I'm not responsible for curriculum, but I would say that uh, from the admissions side of things, we're certainly looking at how we may be able to incorporate both uh, in-person and virtual experiences uh, forthcoming. Okay, let's, let's turn to the application. Um, a couple of medical schools have done MCAT optional and other graduate studies. There has been a broadening of acceptable tests in some cases, widespread test waivers. Any intention or consideration of uh, waiving the MCAT? There has been no uh, deliberate conversation at this point about uh, eliminating the MCAT uh, from our way of assessing candidates, but we are certainly doing things in a more holistic approach where the MCAT is not the be all to whether or not a student is going to be admitted to the medical school. So we're, we're certainly looking at a student's experiences and attributes and how they're going to be able to contribute to the, the diversity of the class and what they're going to bring to the learning environment as a part of the way that we are looking and assessing uh, candidates we want to admit to the medical school. Do you accept people, let's say, from post-bac programs? Mm -hmm. We do. I mean, we're very fortunate to have a couple of pathway programs of our own here at, right. at Chicago Medical School, but we have accepted students from other pathway and pipeline programs throughout the country. We know that everyone's start and journey to medicine is different. And so we really try, again, to look at that holistically uh, as we bring in a class of diverse candidates. So again, that our students participating in the program can also learn from each other and their experiences. Okay, some schools really want research from applicants, some schools kind of a nice to have, and some schools really irrelevant in terms of, of the evaluation process. Where does Chicago Medical kind of stand on that continuum? We don't require that students have research uh, experiences as a part of their portfolio. We're always excited when we see students who have an interest in research. 
Uh, we have a, a dynamic team of faculty who are conducting research here on campus and always looking for students who have an interest in research, but it is not a part of, again, our portfolio of requiring students to have uh, a research experience or background. We do think that research is very important to medicine, and so those applicants who have that interest will be able to pursue it here, but it is not a requirement. Thank you. And do you screen before sending out secondaries or are secondaries sent out automatically to everybody? Who uh, this, we, we have a, a process right now that we do send out secondaries to everyone um, uh, that, that has you know, submitted an AMCAST application that is completed and verified. Okay, great. And what do you hope to learn from the secondary that you don't learn from the primary? Well, you know, the... The primary application goes to all of the, the medical schools that the students select, but the secondary application allows us to ask questions that are specific to us. So we want to see things about uh, a person's interest in diversity and working with uh, communities that are underserved or uh, those who may be from disadvantaged backgrounds. We want to see if students truly have a passion for service and wanting to work with individuals who may uh, be different from themselves. We're also looking to see uh, their resilience and their ability to work collaboratively in a team because medicine is a team approach. And we wanna know that people are going to be culturally sensitive to their patients and bring in that, um, that personality that would make a patient feel comfortable about sharing those things that they may be a little nervous about sharing with a stranger. It's a wonderful answer, thank you. What does the CASPER add to your insight into an applicant? Well, you know, right now we don't use the CASPER this year to make oh, admissions okay. decisions. Okay. Uh, but we are still collecting the information to see how it could better help us to assess candidates. So we're looking at it uh, in a variety of ways to, to determine if it's really uh, something that we want to use to make decisions um, or if information about decisions of applicants who we think are going to be a better fit for us. So at the moment that you are requiring the CASPER, but it's not really, it, you, it's just, and it's in essence for you to evaluate it as opposed to an evaluative tool for the applicant. That is correct. Okay, got it. Very interesting. Okay. Now, the most recent MSAR says that Chicago Medical received 11,893 applications, interviewed 823, and matriculated 189. So the big cut occurs between the secondary and the interviews. How do you how do you win it down? What makes an applicant jump off the application page or window um, in a positive way and join that very fortunate roughly seven percent of applicants who are invited to interview? Now the the number may be inflated in, in MSAR because it probably includes all those people who checked Rosalind Franklin as opposed to those who actually submitted a secondary. But I still assume that that's going to be where the big cut occurs. As you probably know from, other, from many of my other colleagues across the country, this is a, a challenging task for us. Um, you know, for, for me, and I think I could speak for the, 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 the committee, um, it's really those personal statements and the letters of recommendation and the secondary application uh, are the things that pop out for me. 
And so when I can read a, a personal statement and I could see the journey that the applicant has taken to get them to where they are today, uh, it's very, very important. When I could see or feel their passion for medicine, when I could see their desire to really want to improve healthcare outcomes for, uh, for people, for those individuals who have had hardships and, and challenges and barriers in life, and they've overcome those, those are the things that are, are very uh, pressing for me, but also for those students who may not have had uh, unfortunate life circumstances too, they add something to our class as well. Uh, and so having, a, 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 again, a very diverse class of students, I think everyone benefits from that. And so as we are reviewing applicant files, we're looking for those uh, key touch points and attributes to say that you know, this is how the person can help uh, improve our educational outcomes here at the medical school, but also improve the profession of medicine in producing doctors who are going to be compassionate and caring about the patients that they are serving. And also knowing that, you know, we live in a, a global society and there are so many different cultures and backgrounds. And, and so seeing applicants that are coming from different backgrounds can only enrich the educational experience of our students. So it's, it's challenging, but it's exciting when you run across those, those total packages that um, you're just excited to want to meet those students via interview and hope that they will see the significance that Chicago Medical School has with helping them to become the doctors that they want to be. That was a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> that was fantastic. Um, if you are lucky enough, if your application did jump off the page in the way that you described, uh, what kind of an interview day can the applicant expect? We have, I think, a very robust um, interview day, considering it's still virtual. I can't wait till we go back to in-person interviewing because I'd really love to see and interact with the applicants face-to-face. -face. But I think we're doing uh, our very best to make it as engaging as we possibly can. Our interview day consists of the Office of Admissions welcoming the entire group. I will speak with every group of applicants and share with them the expectations of the day and answer any questions they may have. Our Dean of Student Affairs will also meet with the candidates during the day. We'll talk about student life here. We'll answer any questions they may have about support services and programs in place at the medical school. Then we'll talk about the curriculum, both the first and second year curriculum, and then third and fourth year curriculum when they're doing most of their clinical rotations. And of course, the day could not end without having them talk with students. Uh, students are the, are the prime reason, I think, for the interview day and for the interviewee to have an opportunity to engage with our students. So we'll have a student panel who will certainly uh, consist of students from M1, M2, and M3 uh, year to be able to share their experience and answer any questions with applicants. And then at the end of the day, we'll do a wrap up. We'll ask if there are any questions and uh, we will wish them the very best as they go through this process. And one thing that we're doing new this year, this, this evening, matter of fact, we're having a meet and greet with students prior to next week's interview. So we, we really want to make sure that the students have a very positive experience, that their questions are answered, and they feel that this will be a good fit for them here at Chicago Medical School at Rosman Franklin University. Thank you. 
Now, is the interview more of a traditional one-on-one? Is it one-on-two or three, or is it multi multiple mini we, interviews? We're doing the multiple the multiple mini interviews. There are seven stations, and uh, students will get an opportunity to express their thoughts. Uh, with seven different individuals. So again, if you think that you may have not done such a great job in one of the interviews, you have six more interviews to go through where people will be able to uh, find those positive attributes and experiences that you would bring to the medical school. And and are, are the multiple mini sessions with, with actors or are they just- they're with, they're with faculty, staff, and students. Okay, all right. Now this- one of the things I know it's going to start, it hasn't started yet, but it's September and it's going to start, is that that what that is, is me getting calls. I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything. I submitted my primary, you know, in the end of May. I did my secondary immediately. I haven't heard anything. Should I send in an update letter? How does Chicago Medical School look at update letters at any point in the process? before interview, after interview, if waitlisted? Well, I would say that um, because of the volume of materials that we receive, we do not encourage uh, updates. Uh, We do take everything into consideration that has been submitted uh, with their primary application because they do get an opportunity in the primary application to talk about future activities that they will be involved in. And so uh, one of the things that I will certainly talk with students during the interview day is the expectation of when you will hear from us and to hopefully help manage that. But, you know, the one thing that I'm I'm most pleased about is that we do have a system where students can check in to see updates on where they are. And we're working very hard to make sure that we get information out to students this year within four to six weeks after interviewing, if not sooner. That's, I'm sure, going to help with uh, anxiety and all that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because it, it is a, an anxious process. What is the latest that someone could expect an interview invitation from Chicago Medical? Well, we interview up and through the end of March. And so our, our last day for an AM, uh, the AMCAST application is December, November 1st. And so we I think our last interview day may be March 17th. And so at least a few weeks, uh, I would say by the, la- the latest an applicant would probably receive an invitation would be the last week, first week of March for last week of February. Got it. Okay. So the, the panic attacks occurring now are a little premature? Uh, I would say so. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there any kind of clinical exposure or experience that you prefer to see in applicants or is is there any kind of clinical experience that is not so valuable in your opinion? I mean, some people think that shadowing is really important. Some people don't think it's important. What about virtual shadowing? Because many shadowing opportunities have evaporated. What is, what is your take on that? Well, you know, COVID has certainly uh, changed the complexity of, of how things can be done. And so we're trying to be very flexible in how we look at and and assess the opportunities that students may have over this period. We really want to make sure that students understand what the practice of medicine is all about and and to understand that, you know, there's a lot of hard work coming through this journey. And so we want to make sure that you've had an opportunity to maybe shadow, 
maybe do some patient contact. You know, one of the things, uh, I'm a pre-med, uh, former pre-med advisor as well. And sometimes students would say to me, I want to be a pediatrician. And I look at their application prior and there's nothing on their application that says that they like or have worked with children. And so, you know, how did this come about and, and, and where's the evidence that you want to do this? So I think our admissions committees or admissions committees probably all over want to make sure that you've had an opportunity to spend some time in a hospital to see how it is to work with people who are ill and sick and uh, may not always be at their best and may not always look their best and, and may not always smell their best. And so to for us to be able to, um, to, to know that you've had some experience exposure gives us an idea that you're not going to come uh, go through the first year and then the third year say, oh, this is not what I want to do. It's not what I thought it was all about. Um, so we want to make sure that you've had some exposure to health, health, to health careers, whether it's, you know, you may be a, a, CNR, a CNA, you may be an EMT, you may just be a, a transporter or a volunteer, you may be doing scribing, and you may be doing some shadowing. I always tell students, though, I want to see that you're doing something that is that you are giving to another person. And sometimes when you're shadowing, you're just sitting observing something. I want to see you doing something. Uh, and then the second thing is service to others. Are you providing service to uh, people in the community, to people who don't look like you, to people who may be struggling and suffering? Uh, because I think medicine is one of those professions that's always giving. And we want to see that you have that is something that is innate to you and not something that we can teach you to be a giving person. We can't teach you to be compassionate, can't teach you to be passionate. That's something you have to to bring with you. All right. Um, just to go back, I think your answer was was fantastic and, and completely answered my question. But with one one little question, and that is just the whole subject of, of virtual shadowing, because with virtual shadowing, Sometimes you're not close to a patient. You're, you are passive, that's for sure, but you're not really in the room, in the hospital, et cetera. Is that something that, that you kind of would discourage or would you just encourage applicants to try to get something in addition to whatever virtual shadowing? I would encourage them to try and get something in addition. And again, one of the things that I do when I speak to undergrads is to say, don't wait till your fourth year to start this. Start in your freshman year, and it gives you four years to build this portfolio of service uh, to healthcare and to community uh, that will give you ample time and ample hours uh, to be able to have a sufficient number of experiences. So, um, but I would, again, to, to answer your question, to encourage them to seek out additional opportunities if available. But if they're not, you know, using the personal statement or the secondary to explain why they were unable to helps us to understand where there may have been uh, some barriers or problems. Okay, great. Thank you. What is a common mistake you see applicants making during the application process at any point? Applying late in the cycle. Um, I think, too, you know, uh, copying and pasting from their original uh, secondary application to other applications without really looking at the mission and vision and core values of the institution that they are applying to, particularly for the secondary applications. That's uh, a question. 
Yes. Um, so I think that's very, very important. And then um, I think the other thing that I see is sometimes not utilizing their pre-health advisors or their academic advisors at their undergraduate or post-bac programs to assist them with um, how they're completing their, their application. Um, you know, what's the most important experience for you within, in the experience ses- section and why is it that? And are you uh, giving the admissions committee members the evidence that tells us about your compassion and how you've grown and, and, and your ability to work collaboratively and your leadership skills? So those are things that uh, sometimes I see in some of the applications that uh, I, re- I review. Thank you. Okay. Now, sometimes applicants made a mistake along the way, sometimes a big mistake. Let's say they have an academic infraction or perhaps they have a criminal record, maybe a DUI or something else from earlier in their lives. How do you view applicants who have, I mean, this is a competitive process. You're picking the best of the best. Do either of those mistakes um, basically mean they can't get in? And how do you, what are you looking for if you are accepting them? Yeah, none of those, uh, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those individuals who believe, particularly if you're a first-generation student going to college, or many things you may not know uh, as you enter your, your college life. And so your freshman year, you're making all of these adjustments. Maybe if you go away to school, you're adjusting to living away from home, no parent uh, looking over your shoulders every hour. You know, you have the flexibility to get up and go to class or not go to class. And so sometimes it's a, a, um, a, a, you make a few mistakes along the way uh, in your freshman year. And so sometimes we expect to see that in an applicant who may have experienced those growing up uh, pains of uh, moving away from home. Don't expect to see that though in a junior or senior. So if you're going to make your mistakes, make them early. Make them early. And not, yeah, and not <laughs> later. And then two, you know, uh, as it relates to, so academic infractions are not the end of the world, particularly if you've been able to redeem yourself. Um, you know, the criminal kinds of incidents may take on a different uh, flavor. It really depends upon the, 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 the criminal uh, action. We certainly don't want to admit any student that we can't get licensed. Um, and so that would be uh, a horrific thing to do, to have a student invest in the uh, educational expense of a four-year medical school to only learn that we can't license you. So it, we look at those situations on a case-by-case scenario. And based on that, you know, uh, we then determine whether or not this is a student that we will be able to assist. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, you mentioned that academic infractions in particular, you want to see some, some redemption, if you will. What kind of redemption are you looking for? Well, you know, I, I've seen some students who had a very very, very poor academic record their first semester of college. You know, uh, they barely made a a 1.5 GPA. But the next semester, you know, they were 
back on their game and uh, had improved all of their their coursework and now had a GPA well over 3.0 and sustained that GPA going forward. So that's the kind of evidence I think we would be looking for, Uh, you know, making sure that, you know, you're not withdrawing from classes every term or you have this up and down pattern. We want to make sure that the pattern is either stable or that it's going up uh, upward trend. Okay, great, thank you. Now, a different kind of, of issue would be, what advice would you have for applicants who, let's say, had a dip in grades or had to drop out of school because of, uh, of an emotional uh, issue, let's say, a depressive period? Well, I think we're finally getting to a point in our society that we realize that mental health is something that impacts uh, many of us. And so, you know, one of the things I think many medical schools are doing, including Chicago Medical School, is really trying to uh, create this this balance uh, between wellness and and learning. And uh, as professionals, we're also trying to find this this balance between work and 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 life. And so, we're certainly realizing that students may have some uh, times in their lives where they may have to postpone their learning to take a break and to uh, get things under control. So that's really not a problem. It's uh, making sure that you are taking good care of yourself, uh, you know, not only your your physical, but also your mental well-being. We want you to be at your best when you come to medical school. And so preparing and taking care of that ahead of time, I think is a plus for the applicant. Wonderful. Thank you. Any thoughts on the any, any perspective, rather, on, on taking gap years or growth years? You know, 100 years ago, when I went to college, there was no <laughs> conversation about gap years. I think I would have benefited. I guess you went to college around the same time. But yeah. <laughs> I think I would have benefited greatly from a gap year because um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, where I wanted to be. I just knew my family said, you're going to go to college. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, And it worked out for me. So I'm very fortunate. But I think for students who have the opportunity to take a gap year to maybe do research or to uh, enhance their application so they're more competitive candidates or to have greater experience working with people from disadvantaged backgrounds or individuals who may have special needs or you may have other special interests and you wanna pursue those first. I had a student many years ago as a pre-med advisor who um, chose to be an art major first and then came back and did his prerequisite courses to go to dental school. And I was so amazed by that because, you know, he was doing something that he truly had a passion for first. And then he also wanted to combine his love for dentistry um, with his art. So I thought, what a wonderful way of doing that. So I think for some students, they may need a gap year to fill in those blanks and to maybe mature a little bit more and to become more um, self-reflective of what it is that's important to them and the legacy they want to really leave to the world. Great answer. Thank you. I'm I'm smiling because one of the interviewees we had on, this was a few years ago, I think his name is Dr. Mike Natter. Um, He actually was an artist and he decided he wanted to become a doctor and he went, went back, did a post-bac program, then did medical school 
And he found that in terms of taking notes, it was easier for him to draw what he was being taught than to write, write it out in words. And then he, and he actually, I think, started a small business selling his, his drawings. His art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had the privilege of, of being the founding uh, admissions dean at Frank Netter MD Medical School in, at Quinnipiac University, okay. which the school is named after. And uh, yes. yeah, I, I think his name was Natter, not, not, they're not the same. <laughs> it happens, it's coincidental that the name sounds the same. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's a very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I think he went to Jefferson, uh, you know, Sidney Kimmel. Okay. I recall. That's what I remember. It's been a few years, but I, I remember very clearly he was an artist first, and then he ended up, if you will, drawing his way instead of taking notes through medical school. So it was a, interesting that you should mention that. On a forward-looking note, what advice do you have for medical school applicants, not so much the ones in the thick of it now, but thinking ahead and planning to apply next summer or the following summer or sometime in the future? You know, I would encourage students to certainly take a look at the AAMT's uh, website for students. There's tons of information there about the medical school admissions process. I also would encourage them to spend time with their pre-health advisor or academic advisor at their schools. Um, I would say to them, start the process early. Um, Be be mindful that um, everyone's journey to medicine looks different and not to compare their journey to their peers because it may look completely different. Um, you know, so everybody isn't going to be in medical school by 21. You may be 25 or you may be 31 when you get there. Uh, and so don't put that pressure on you saying that, gee, I have to be in medical school by the time I'm 21 and I have to be an MD by the time I'm 25 and married with kids by the time I'm 27. You know, stop. Make an appointment. Make an appointment yeah. to have a baby. <laughs> no, I mean, just just take it one day at a time and do what you need to do to demonstrate that you have the passion, the compassion and the desire to to be one, a lifelong learner, because that's what medicine really requires. Because by the time you finish medical school, many of the things that you've learned and and the techniques that you practice may be obsolete. So you're gonna have to learn, you know, keep learning as you you go through this profession. I think you should enjoy it, uh, even though when you're struggling through organic chemistry and physics and biochem, you gotta find some happiness with that. And then you gotta really like people and want to be uh, an individual who wants to improve the healthcare outcomes, not of just those who are privileged, but those who may be coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, disadvantaged communities, immigrant communities, and so on and so forth. So the advice I would give is, you know, take it slow, do all the things that you need to do to make yourself very competitive. Also know that everyone may not get into medical school in their first attempt. It may take you multiple attempts to you actually reach there, but just make sure that you are the best prepared when you do enter the, the, the time slot for applying to medical school. Wonderful advice. Thank you. Is there anything you would have liked me to ask you or anything you'd like to share? Well, I think you, your questions were on point. I think you asked uh, some really tough questions there. <laughs> I I really do hope that the information that I'm sharing with your audience will be helpful. Um, You know, I think 
I'm hoping that soon we'll be back to in-person visits so we can actually visit various schools and, and see students in person. But when things do uh, come back online, I encourage students to participate in those career fairs and to meet the admissions uh, professionals when they visit your schools and, and to just be vigilant in what you're doing and, and again, enjoy the process. That's great advice again. Thank you so much. Uh, you've been very generous with your time and your insights. I want to thank you so much for joining me and sharing your expertise. Where can listeners learn more about Chicago Medical School at the Rosalind Franklin University? They can certainly come to our website at rosalindfranklin.edu okay, and great. find yeah. information about not only the medical school, but our pharmacy school, podiatry school, College of Health Sciences, and our graduate programs. Wonderful. Well, we're going to link to Chicago, uh, Rosalind Franklin University and those programs. Thank you, listeners, also for joining me for this wonderful interview with Dr. Ellison. And again, you can find those links at accept.com slash 438, as well as links to other resources that you might find helpful also. Last reminder, join me, Dr. Herman Gordon, and Dr. Barry Rothman for GOT Interviews. What if I'm not invited to interview? A live Q&A that will play take place tomorrow, October 7th, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can reserve your seat at accepted.com slash got interview. This is Admission Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week.